Welcome everybody to First Principles Podcast. We are your podcast dedicated to analyzing complex subjects from first principles. You are joined by your host, uh, yours truly, Trees, and uh, I'm here with my partner in crime, Mr. Elliot. Okay, so today's episode, we are going to be taking a look at the new IPCC climate change report. You might have heard some uh, news articles that were covering it. And um, we're going to be taking a look at not the report itself, but more so some articles that are analyzing the report. And we're going to try to break them down and maybe try to look at how they are analyzing the science. Are they doing a good job? Are they doing a bad job? Are they representing the information from the IPCC report accurately? What are some biases? What are some maybe general narratives that are taking place um, from these uh, reports that are coming out that are analyzing the IPCC report. So, and just to give you guys my take on things is that from a broad scale, the IPCC report, it's not something that I'm here to dispute because I myself, I believe climate change is happening and we need to kind of uh, break it down into like something more specific though in terms of understanding it and then communicating it to the public at large. And my question is, based on the findings of the report, are these articles, are these newspapers, these journal articles, whatever uh, or newspaper articles that reporting on it in an accurate way or is there some uh, misrepresentation of the information in order to uh, promote certain biases and um, certain ideas so any any thoughts on that before we jump into it uh, Elliot my thought is there is a, a narrative that underlies a lot of media um, that is along the lines of making any topic more extreme than it really is because once you put a sense of urgency or catastrophe or crisis or or, or uh, you know um, apocalypse once you start using these types of language it um, makes great headlines and it makes it adds to clicks and I think the the natural tendencies of of uh, media companies are to perhaps choose a choose a course that might not be mm, choose a choose a narrative that's not tr- completely true in order to basically um, increase their 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 um, their viewership. Right, they'll kind of go for the the clickbait thing, is what you're saying. They'll kind of get the uh, like a detractive headline or write things in a certain way that creates some sort of sense of controversy when there really is nothing. Yes, and it's not like the most simple form of clickbait, which is just a horrendously uh, out there headline. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's can be more subtle than that, but it is equally as uh deceptive and i think there's almost like the clickbait you see at the bottom as like ads um that might be something about some actor this person said this like more gossipy (laughs) stuff but then there's the headlines that seem to be in you know nbc cbc um that are there and they are 
controversial enough that they light up the Twitter verse. You know, th- th- this is the this is the intellectual clickbaity stuff that really just does well for discussion on social media, like within like the Twitter sphere. So mm-hmm. I I feel like clickbait is is the right term for what they're doing, but it's uh, it's more subtle in some cases than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, people love a car crash, right? It's like a catastrophe. It's uh, That's why when you're driving al- along the highway or something and then there's road traffic block or whatever and you pass by the car crash, well, you know, there was nothing really impeding the traffic. It was just people slowing down to look at the, the car crash. So people, I think, yeah, do have that natural tendency towards clamoring towards some chaos or some crazy stuff that's happening. And if you can paint that narrative, paint that picture, then people are going to be more likely to click on your articles, I guess, which is the, the issue at play here. Um, so without further ado, let's kind of look into some a couple of these articles. So number one is in an article by the Washington Post, and it's titled Five Key Excerpts from the United Nations Climate Change Report. Um, and actually, just to take a step back, uh, one other thing I want to mention is that this is an episode in a series where which will be dedicated towards IPCC, climate change, that kind of stuff, because it is such a big discussion. The, the report is like three, 4,000 pages, whatever, and uh, we want to really just uh, look at it from many different angles, look at many different um, uh, perspective, points of view on it, and yeah, really just chisel away at it and really um, try to provide value that way instead of just one-off articles here and there that discuss it, but really just try to be one part in a series that tries to analyze uh, all the elements of what is being discussed because again it's three four thousand pages there's a lot to uh, unpack um, there so um, jumping into this into this um, uh, newspaper article again five key ex- excerpts from the United Nations climate change report um, and I'm gonna just kind of point out certain sections that to me sounded a bit off reading this article um but again it's kind of like as it sounds they try to highlight at a high level some key takeaways from the ipcc uh un climate change report so one uh, thing that stood out to me uh, as i was reading it was this uh, statement that comes out that the last decade was more likely than not warmer than any multi-centennial period after the last interglacial roughly 125,000 years ago. So uh, kind of a lot, uh, kind of complex statement over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I want to point out, though, is just in terms of the metrics. Like, I don't know if there's something that stands out to you right away uh, of that. Um Can you read that to me one more time? Okay, it says, The last decade was more likely than not warmer than any multi-centennial period after the last interglacial roughly 125,000 years ago. Hmm. So the keyword to me is decade and then um, multi-centennial period. Mm -hmm. Like, that to me sounds off because you're comparing and this is like a really nitpicky type of stuff but again like when it comes to i don't know science and numbers and this types of shit like you do have to kind of be nitpicky and uh, and on that level so um as the last decade so you're looking at 10 year 
all right what a decade is was more likely than not more uh, was yeah was more likely than not warmer than any multi-centennial period after the last interglacial so you're now comparing to a a multi-centennial period so now you're talking about hundreds of years and multiples of them a multi-centennial so (laughs) multi so maybe they're maybe they're trying to say that uh, maybe it's even worse than it sounds right because it's like a decade versus oh the, it's 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 uh it's changed more in the last decade than in any uh 100 year period uh maybe that's what they're saying but you have to look at you're not comparing apples to oranges essentially is, is it would be my my rebuttal because if you're looking at a 10 year period decade then you should be analyzing 10 year periods within the last however many years you want to scale back to whether it's the last uh, 10,000 years 100,000 years million years whatever but if you're going to compare the last decade was and maybe you would say that oh you know what well we're comparing a decade and it's been uh more than a 100 year period well what uh, is it is that net or is that gross uh, so are we talking about the difference of, uh, like after 10 years versus after 100 years or are we talking about um like throughout because then that also is a difference as opposed to like the, the, the as in the endpoints are we talking about the endpoints or in between as well um because it could have gone like for a short period outside that range and then come back within that range over over the long period so you you see what i'm kind of going at with this i do i do but i think your initial or your interpretation you kind of got to where they're trying to make the the point that within 10 years we have more change than we're seeing over these multi-centennial years um is is probably what they're trying to um uh trying to say there which is 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 a way of saying basically the amount of change that's happened in just the last 10 years is high mm-hmm. and it's higher than and then what we've seen before but it 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 i agree that the language that's used in these reports is in itself misleading because um, multi-centennial what the heck does that even mean like that in itself needs a definition um, to help um, at least anybody the uh, average, reader, un- yeah. average reader put it into a into into a frame of reference like you could take it for what each of those individual words mean exactly or this could be a term that you need to look up in the glossary that's that means a specific type of thing um, so yeah, I. Uh, but then my question to that would be, why wouldn't they say the last hundred years has been the warmest in the last multi-centennial of the last hundred twenty-five thousand years? That you know what I'm saying? Because if that were true, then so would so if the ten-year decade thing was true, then the hundred-year thing should be true as well. Or one would think but yet this last 10 years is isolated maybe they they would say that oh we want to highlight how extreme the last 10 years has been uh i don't know but it, it just again it just maybe goes towards skewing statistics in a way that tries to further your narrative and in, in your agenda yeah um, okay i think i i know what you're saying and i i, uh, I kind of agree with it because the simplest way to say what they're trying to say is something along the line in the last 
you know, 10 years, we've seen more change than the last uh, 10,000. That would be the easiest way of saying it. But then to bring in these multi-centennials um, gives some kind of wiggle room for um, that interpretation of the data to go one way or the other. And it's hard to describe on a podcast what we're talking about, but it's something along the lines of that if you strategically place the boundaries of that centennial at, at, uh, in, in a such a way, you could probably manipulate what the change was over that period of time. Um, and, and in that way, paint a narrative that that is different than, you know, simply the, the sentence that I said at the beginning there, which is like, in the last 10 years, uh, we've had more temperature change than in the last 10,000. Mm-hmm. But why can't they just say that? Yeah. You got to wonder why. It's it's yeah, really these subtle games that are that are played. That uh, it just to me sounds kind of disingenuous from what science is because it's, it's supposed to be um, kind of like putting the facts out there. Yeah, but in, in their defense, we I I would say the language has the potential to be uh, to hide something. But at the same time, the one thing I've noticed with the climate report is. They're often looking at um, the 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 changes uh, over time that are cyclical. So there's like means and amplitudes and and stuff like that. So the the way you compare things is not simply um, uh, always as easy as just like oh it it is just it's just warmer. It's it's like it's you have to talk about differences in net and and uh, the height of a cycle and the length of a cycle. Mm-hmm. It gets more complicated uh, when you're talking. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have to choose a baseline. So it's like, what's the baseline that you choose? You're going to choose a baseline that kind of maybe favors the data towards the way that you want it. it. There's even that much more wiggle room in that case because you are dealing with relatives. You are dealing with... Uh, not necessarily absolutes, but you're comparing to a different time scale. That's why, like, we're always like, oh, we want to go to pre-industrial levels, or we want to go to pre-2010 levels with our emissions and all that stuff. Um, But uh, so moving on, though, uh, just continuing on with the articles. So one of the things that it states is that neither scientists nor United Nations uses terms such as unequivocal lightly. We're very careful around confident statements. He said, what you're seeing here is a very strong statement. Um, And discussions around climate change often involve idea of keeping the planet from warming beyond certain thresholds such as 1.5 degrees 2 degrees celsius the latter of which scientists and policymakers have identified as a red line if the planet is to avoid catastrophic and irreversible consequences so we hear about the one to two degrees celsius um red line and uh, we also hear that you know there's strong confidence statements um and that they're not uh taken lightly but reading the ipcc report like in terms of the definitions of likely or more likely than not like i don't know how they're not that readily findable in terms of what they mean in terms of these definitions oh this is my biggest beef so far with the ipcc report is something that they've called um ipcc calibrated uncertainty language and 
it consists of italicizing words and then defining a confidence interval from but you you think it would be as simple as like um you know four words and four confidence intervals but no no if you go to these footnotes there's a whole list of different terms and what they mean and some are like reasonable where it's talking about um, extremely likely for example is like 95 to 100 percent but then there's something like likely which is which is from 66 to 100 which is a larger much larger um, uh, probability realm and uh, the one I I saw that I'm just like this is uh, um, uh, quite honestly a deceptive way of using language so the the language is about as likely as not when you hear about as likely as not what is what does that mean to you in terms of probability as likely as not i'll tell you 50 that's exactly it you think it's likely not it's like a uh, it's a toss of a coin it's it's as likely to happen as it's not likely but in the ipc report it's from 33 to 66 wow and so it's like so technically, the fifty is right in the middle. Fifty is right in the middle. Fifty is right in the middle. But but something. But this is the thing. Something that is thirty three percent. If you so the, let's say you have something that is as likely as not in the language, you don't know if that's thirty three percent or sixty six percent. Exactly. It could be yeah. unlikely in that case. It could be very <laughs> unlikely. Yeah. yeah pretty unlikely. Langu- but then the language states the opposite. <laughs> it's. Uh, like that that's the thing with with these types of games these weird manipulations that are made and even though there's like this idea of transparency like it's it's hidden behind all these layers of uh semantics and overload of word definitions all these things where it's like they're they're not even going to use standard statistics they're going to use ipcc specific statistics like again to further make this their own unique thing that only they can understand only the specialists only the ipcc can interpret if you dare challenge if you dare like look into the data if you dare question it for any second you are unworthy of this you because you are not of the ipcc you are not educated you are not elite you are not an intellectual to these standards that they have set for themselves it's I don't know. It's it's kind of like again, like I am somebody that believes in climate change, but at the same time, like some of this data and the reporting and the communication of it is done in a very shady manner, which does call into question like what it, it, is is actually going on here when the transparency of it is so lacking. Where you're literally creating your own language, you're creating your own specialists, you're creating this really unique thing that only you have the right to do to analyze the question, to think about. So when, when, once it's like super exclusive like that, then and it, it does and further away from the people then it does kind of become a bit more sketchy in my eyes well and and you know touching on that a bit i don't know what exactly the ipc looks like or how it's run but you have my, my sense of it is you have um academics across the uh, across the globe uh, that are specializing in different forms of climate research and they're putting their findings out there and the IPC uh, gr- group of IPCC. Uh, IPCC thank you it's a mouthful I'm gonna probably <laughs> yeah. screw it up yeah, more than once same, same. Uh, and it you know it's made up of 
highly educated people that know how to read these uh, these uh, these studies, read these uh, reports, and uh, present their, that this latest report from the IPCC is is a summary of all these of all the latest research up to up to only two thousand and I, I don't know is it two thousand and twenty it's not it's not obviously they're, they're they're always a little bit behind the, the latest cutting edge stuff but the point is those that group I guess decide how to uh, create the language around it. And, and not to keep harping on this um, calibrated language for certainty, but it, I'm sorry, I just think it should be way more clear and just standardize their language. Like, I'm going to give you another example here. Basically, I'm seeing in these footnotes um, uses of language that basically overlap each other. So they have, for example, they'll say very likely means 90 to 100%, but they're also saying extremely likely means from 95 to 100%. And then more likely than not is greater than 50 up to 100% and extremely unlikely is zero to five. And they say, and they say this may also be used when appropriate, but these these kind of three ex, you know extra uh, language definitions overlap with other language definitions that they've used, which are for different ranges. And so it's not, it's, you know. You have three terms to describe something that's likely. You have one term to that to describe something that's unlikely. That, and that's where I, th- I, that's where <laughs> like, I think it's what? biased. I think the bias, <laughs> if the bias is anywhere, the bias is in favor of of describing things that are, are likely to happen even when the the probability seems lower because there's right? more language to describe it right right it, literally even something if something is considered 33 percent likely that's still likely in their in their eyes because well, more falls. likely than not so <laughs> bro but look at that's a perfect example look at that so they've literally captured to as low as 33 percent so everything 33 and above is likely from their from their point of view is that crazy that's fucking nuts. It's crazy. It <laughs> like, is, yes. That's it, fucking nuts. Yes. It is like, kind of, yes. Yeah. Uh, or more likely than not. Anything 33% and above is like, or more than likely, or more likely or not. Not more than likely. <laughs> you see what I'm doing there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Know. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's pretty funny. Well, well, yeah. And, and, and so, well, am I screwing this up? But, for example, um, from 33 to to 50 is 17 percent, right? 33 to 33 to 50 to 50 percent is, yeah, 17. is 17, but from 50 to 66, 16, 16. Hmm. So, again, uh, no, maybe I maybe I no, that's still 33 percent though. That's that's the important thing. That's still, 33 is the difference. Is the difference? Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it still seems like to say that, you know, call anything that happens under 50% as likely as not to happen or over 50%. Exactly. It's just, a, it's just. Again, you've encapsulated more information into the likely camp versus the unlikely camp. And you have to remember in statistics, it's all about how you group things, how do you categorize things? What are your um, little intervals, right? Do you set it for 10 uh, gaps of 10, gaps of 20, gaps of 100, whatever. And it's all changes uh, the results and, and things. 
So moving on, I want to I want to touch on this point where it says of how um, you know scientists, policymakers have identified a red line if the planet is to avoid catastrophic and irreversible consequences. So it's like, so are we at the red line or not? Are we at the red line or not? Because the next statement says the IPCC report found that many changes due to greenhouse gas emissions are already irreversible, such as melting glaciers, uh, said the author. Uh, so are we at the reversible stage or are we at the unreversible stage? You know what I mean? Because, um, or is it irreversible or is it reversible? Because it's kind of like simultaneously sending both messages where, okay, we're past the red line, a bunch of stuff is here to stay, but we need to also act now so that we can avoid like these other changes as well. Or like, it's just kind of, they're sending the two messages at once, but or maybe they're doing that on purpose just to say, oh, look, there's all the stuff that's happened and that's why we must act now maybe like i don't know that's the only way that i could like think about it but it just seems like they're sending both messages whoa it's catastrophic like all uh, like we need to act now but all this stuff is already kind of like baked into the cake and we kind of can't do anything about it <laughs> i was like okay wait what <laughs> yeah yeah but, and so then should we then actually be acting out in such ways that destroy economies for the future generations and, and put people into like indentured servitude and debt like for something that you're not like a hundred percent on, like I don't know. It's just well, that is the question, right? It, it, what, what response is justified? And what I have seen uh, peripherally over the last, you know, ten years is, uh, you know, a discussion around uh, these these. Um, points of no return where we you know if we don't meet these targets this is unreversible this is not unreversible i don't think that has much that has changed i think even in the um executive summary of 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 this latest report they're still talking about you know okay glaciers are still going to continue to melt even if we get our co2 emissions um and um, um capture to net zero basically mm-hmm. you know we can we can reduce uh increases in, in you know um mean ground temperature by you know uh we're stabilized at, at some two degrees three degrees above above pre-industrial um times but that's not going to stop these these icebergs from uh from from melting but the and 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 so so it's like what's the point i go back to that. Right, like, right right you gotta ask yourself <laughs> like, you kind of uh, yeah, undercutting your arguments here. <laughs> you know what? What is the what is the point of of doing anything crazy about it? And I think most uh, the most reasonable thing is that there is no justification to go crazy about it. And it's it's the the concept of making it seem like there's a reason to go crazy about it is a way to push through policies, and the policies yeah. that might ultimately be uh, helpful, but could also be very detrimental and the thing is that um let's expand this even to a bigger picture so we have we have climate has never been stable uh, on 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 this planet and uh so when they talk about irreversible as in you know icebergs are going to still melt um that's not to say that in some thousand years we're not going to return to some sort of ice age under other conditions it's just that in this kind of a more of immediate human driven time frame of a hundred years that um there's no chance that we're going to um 
change it ourselves change it ourselves our actions yes yeah we're not going to have the the impact the say as our egotistical human desires push us towards the constant need for control um but yeah so that's the thing that stood out to me was that it's really mixed messaging it's like we we've reached a catastrophe but yet we're not there but we need to act now but some stuff is already done so the, the the messaging seems uh, seems off to me, and it says um, even if current emission pledges are realized, they would amount to just a one percent reduction in global emissions by twenty thirty compared to twenty ten levels. So again, we have that comparison to our baseline twenty ten levels. Scientists say the number needs to be close to fifty percent reduction. So it's like okay, let me get this straight. Even if we hit all our current targets, so Paris Accord, whatever, all that stuff, you're just saying it's only going to be a 1% like impact. <laughs> like well, yeah, yeah. Buried, so, so, buried uh, in like paragraph 17 or whatever the hell. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and so we got to ramp it up to 50%. Uh, again, the, the whole, uh, every crisis is an opportunity. Don't let any catastrophe go to waste. This is an opportunity for them to pass down policies, which they have wanted to for a long period of time, but they were unable to. And now this is the chance to capitalize, strike while the iron is hot. My question to that previous statement, though, though would be, what is that, uh, or in terms of the, the recourse would be that what we need is an analysis of where those emissions are coming from. So it's like, okay, cut uh, emissions by 50%. Okay, to what? And then uh, to what ends? And also like where, from where we have to consider because a bulk chunk of those emissions, we have to be realistic, are coming from countries that are developing their economies and they need to burn fossil fuels in order to get the energy. It's really that simple. We want to think in all these high and mighty terms, but fundamentally there's governments such as China, India, Nigeria, um, South Africa, uh, southern parts of Africa that are developing economies and they need to burn fossil fuels in order to give their people energy. Energy is like one of the fundamental components of uh, of life, right? And in terms of like the basic needs that you need in order to live a fulfilling life, you need to meet energy demands, your house, your warmth, energy. Um, so these people, these governments are accountable to their people. So what they're going to like succumb to global environmental uh, environmentalists that say there's some impending climate catastrophe, but meanwhile they have to like shut down their fossil fuel burning coal power plants or whatever the hell they, they are that they use to actually support their people, support their citizens, give them energy, give them the fundamental requirement that they need to live their lives and get their work done. It's just like, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, even again reading the statement if current pledges are realized they would amount to just one percent reduction in global emissions compared to 2020 2010 levels we need 50 percent or reduction like but then why is it to 2010 levels like like again like where how did 2010 become the the benchmark all of a sudden yeah the 2010 is weird I, i've not heard that uh reference besides this article um washington so, post baby washington post i'm not but there must be a reason there must be uh but the, the, the thing is this whole talk about you know what we need to cut down to have a, a meaningful effect is uh so challenging because like you said when you read that 
you say the current goals are not going to even do anything. So there's people that say, why bother do it? And then there's other people that say, let's see the sign, the, the see that we need 50% and, they ramp th- it up. and they think we need to ramp it up and there's an urgency to do it. Now you can argue about why goals get set, whether there's, there's obviously political motivations that have to do with, um, uh, you know, maybe lobbying, lobbying from for oil and gas at one side, but there's also just you know what is what there's must be discussions about what is even attainable, what is in the realm of possibility, like that doesn't put absolutely crazy stress, you like you said, on people that are, on countries that are developing, and and how like frankly cannot just uh, do the best latest and greatest uh, carbon capture techniques immediately on all other facilities. And then there's also a discussion about really what, how confident uh, the different scientific groups in these countries agree with what the results of this IPCC report is. Because that's the other thing, like the part that we don't ever really hear about is a country might come to the table and say, we don't want to meet this goal as high as the IPCC report. because they've got another analysis that says that that is frankly not going to be the case or whatever that is also or they have different priorities or they just got different priorities and and outside of outside of addressing climate change is the be end all end all um exactly. which and and frankly i think it's more uh, noble uh and ethical to to not put uh climate change as your highest one if you're putting um, other welfare for your citizens in different ways in 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 in, in a higher priority spot, uh, ju- it just makes um, it makes more sense. But uh, you know the 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 extreme this extreme-minded person will will read something like that and and just laugh and go, oh yeah, politics is a joke. They're not even meeting the goal and like oh it's gonna and then you know things are going to absolutely go to shit and they're out there shouting about oh, we need to meet these goals and they have no idea how um, how that would even be possible. They have no sense of what would be realistic for a solution, these people. But yet they're out there asking and demanding something that, uh, demanding it, demanding the impossible yeah. potentially. Um, Without just the pragmatic common sense look again of where are these emissions coming from if we're looking at global emissions then we have to look at global contributors we have to look at all these countries we have to look at the change the patterns how are things shifting and again with with countries developing they're going to be burning more fossil fuels I hate to break it to you but their fossil fuels are going to be around for another uh many hundreds if not thousands of years so we just have to be realistic about these goals and how they're going to be reached and if we do and stop living in our high and mighty pious uh, you know uh idealist theoretical hypothetical world then we'll, we'll kind of come to our senses and realize these governments are accountable to their people their people will hold them accountable so not not freaking their international relations and these things i mean yeah there's some international pressure that can be put Definitely. Yeah, of course but at the end of the day china's going to do what's best for china india's going to do what's best for india nigeria's going to do what's best for nigeria south africa's do what's best for south africa russia's going to do what's best for south africa uh, for russia <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, and so on and so forth so 
anyways, uh, I don't want to harp on that point too much. I know we're, we are a bit strapped for time. Uh, Elliot, you have to run. We've hit our time block for the day, guys. So yeah, there sorry, was folks. another article we wanted to look at, but um, I think this was a good opener to get the conversation rolling on this subject, on this theme. And uh, we'll continue with more discussions along this nature, trying to look at IPCC, the IPCC report, and uh, tackle it from uh, different points of view. Love it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we'll catch you guys next time on next episode of First Principles. And again, break it down from the ground up. Let's go. Peace. Peace out, guys. Thank you.